I uh, want to dedicate our story tonight to the yard site of my dear friend, whose yard site is this week, Rabbi Ariel Ravnoi. Rabbi Ariel Ben Shatil Zev, who was a phenomenal chassid. And as his name, Ariel means lion. He was a lion in the service of God. And one of the characteristics of a lion is that they're not afraid of things. Because, you know, if you're a lion, you're the king of the jungle. So why should you be afraid? On Motzei um, Shabbos, on Saturday night, there's a custom to sing a song called Altira Avdi Yaakov. Don't be afraid, my servant Yaakov. After Shabbos is over, and we're getting back into the world, and Tzrik to the Velt and Tzrik to the Gelt, in the language of the song of Rabbi Yantav back to the money, back to the world, so a Jew may be frightened. And therefore, there's a song that we sing, God's promise. Please don't press that. Don't press that. The promise is, Altira Abdi Don't be afraid, my servant Yaakov. So on that note, and very in sync with the Torah portion of this week, where God takes care and destroys all of our, all of our enemies, I want to share with you two incredible stories on this theme. Um, the first, the, these are, these are, uh, I, I would like to share true stories, but not just true stories. I'd like to share a story that I know all the details of, because, um, when you hear the details, it brings it home and you're able to, like, identify with it. So, first story happened in 1963, 1964. Recently, uh, the Rebbe's emissary in Borough Park, Rabbi Aaron Ginsberg, he attended a Shalom Zachar, a friend of his had a baby, and he went to this synagogue, and the father of the baby, um, his uncle, whose name is Rav Leiv Eisner, he sees this Chabad rabbi at the, uh, at the Shalom Zachar. They're celebrating a brand new baby, Shalom Zachar, on Friday night in the synagogue, and it's full of people. And he goes over to Rabbi Ginsburg and he says to him, I want to share with you a story about the Lubavitcher Rebbe you probably haven't heard yet. That's always a uh, a a great intro to a story, and the whole show is quiet. And Levi Eisner shared the following story publicly uh, from him. He says this story happened, you know, sixty years ago, but he says he has three parts. He saw all three parts, and the way he shared it, he remembers every detail, and so it's a uh, very accurate. Rosie, come here, please. Rosie, come here. Rosie and Zalman, come here. Come closer. Come closer. No, no, no computer now. Come. Come closer. Come. So, stories like this. He said that he lived the time in Crown Heights. Crown Heights at that time was full of, uh, as a very, very Jewish neighbor today as well, but at that time there were, there were hundreds of shuls. Many, many Holocaust survivors lived in Crown Heights. And he lived on uh, S. John's in Buffalo. And um, he um, uh, was with his um, uh, family growing up, and he was a very little kid. And his family, Rosie, Rosie, please, please, Rosie, please turn it off and come back here. Come, I'm waiting for you. Thanks, Rose. Come here. Thanks. So his family, Sadavan, in the synagogue over there, called Rabbarach Rokech. Rabbarach Rokech had a synagogue. Um, it was on uh, Lincoln Place between Rochester and Buffalo. And there were, uh, again, there was, was a city, there was a synagogue that was, that was action-packed 24 hours a day. 
there was mikvahs, there was shuls, so many, uh, not Chabad synagogues, people, all kinds of Jews lived there, uh, Litvisha Jews, Hasidic Jews, religious Jews, not religious Jews, it was a very action-packed neighborhood with hundreds of synagogues, more, way more than they were today, than they are today, even though today it's also a very bustling neighborhood. And then when the um, neighborhood started to change, a lot of non-Jews moved in the neighborhood, a lot of Jews, unfortunately, left the neighborhood, and the crime rates went, went up, and the crime rate went up, so then many more Jews left, and it was a whole, it was a major um, um, uh, a departure from the neighborhood, and the, the, the real estate went down, and people who um, wanted to leave weren't able to leave because they couldn't afford to leave because their houses weren't worth much anymore. Stores were closed, um, synagogues were closed, and uh, the, the the neighborhood was changing, and the Barach Shul also was changing. He was the only shul open in that specific spot in Crown Heights. And although it was before it was a bustling synagogue, but as the crime rate went up, people stopped attending the synagogue, and it, and it emptied. Now the Rebbe had said very clearly, very emphatically, many, on many occasions, that people should not leave the neighborhood. People should stay in the, in the neighborhood. According to Halacha, Jews are not allowed to leave the neighborhood and leave the Jews who cannot leave alone. So um, so it's forbidden, according to Halacha, for Jews to depart from the neighborhood. This happened in many other cities in America, um, many neighborhoods, and there, but Crown Heights is unique in that the Hasidim and many others listen to the Rebbe, and it still is a Jewish neighborhood, but in many other neighborhoods, even in Los Angeles, you know, like in uh, Jews originally lived in uh, far farther east in uh, in um, Boyle Heights, and now there are no Jews there. Actually, the LA Times did a story a few years ago about the last Jew in Boyle Heights. Um, Eddie Goldstein, I actually went to see Eddie, he put on film with him, a very special man, I love the show. Getting back to our story. So... This um, this show was was emptying out, and there was a, a store that was owned by a man named Anshul Gillis. His store was on Rochester, between Eastern Parkway and Lincoln, and it was a very tiny store. The whole store was dal dal dal. It was you know six feet by six feet, a tiny little store, and you couldn't really like walk around in the store without a shopping cart because no place to walk. Just went to this guy, Anshul Gillis, who was a very, very wonderful man, very kind man, and a very sweet person. He would he attended this show together with the the hero, or the one sharing the story, Leib Eisner, his little boy. And Anshul was very kind, always had a good word for everyone. But one day, Anshul comes to show and makes an announcement. The announcement is, guys, I need to leave. I need to leave the neighborhood. It's impossible. The, the crime was such that I mean, the crime in general was rising. Besides the crime rising, stores were hit much more than others because people, it was very easy to go walk in the store, there's cash in the register, and uh, and there was a lot of lot of robberies. So Anshul said, he's not making people aren't buying as much as they were before, and he's scared. He wants to leave. He's going to leave. The next few weeks he's going to leave. So there's another man in the synagogue named Mr. Feldman. Mr. Feldman said, listen, Anshul, Although we're not Lubavitchers, but you should know the Lubavitcher Rebbe said that no one should leave the neighborhood. You should, you should, you shouldn't leave the neighborhood because the Rebbe said no one should leave the neighborhood. The, the, it, it wasn't like it was today that the Rebbe's shul was 
the center of the entire neighborhood. It was all, again, as I mentioned, all different kinds of Jews. These Jews, he said, Leib said the story himself. Leib said, the only time that I would ever go to the 770 was, there was two times a year that we allowed ourselves to visit Lubavitch because there was a lot of action over there on Simchas Torah, Yitzhak Kislev. Otherwise, you know, we had our thing, they had their thing, we had nothing to do with each other. But, Anshul, uh, Anshul Gillis, Anshul, um, um, yeah, Anshul Gillis, he he um, made this announcement, he has to leave, but Feldman said, listen, you should know, the Rebbe said you shouldn't. He said, you know what, I'm going to go to the Rebbe. Anshul says, I'm going to ask the Rebbe. Now, Leib said, the one sharing the story, the little boy, he said, I didn't know what happened if he went to the Rebbe, or didn't go to, go to the Rebbe, but the fact is, he kept the store open. The store was open. That's the first part of the story. Here is the second part of the story. So, he says, Leib says that he saw, again, all three parts of the story himself. He said that, um, doesn't know if this story happened a year later or less than a year later, but about a year later, it was a summer day, he's coming home from school, and it's early, it's a late afternoon, and he sees, going on Eastern Parkway, there's sirens, there's police siren, police, and there's um, ambulances, and there are um, fire trucks, and they're all, you could see they're all going together, it's the parkway, it's the main street, and they're all going, when they get, they're all turning down in Rochester, and you still hear the sirens, so you knew whatever was happening was happening right there in the corner of Eastern Parkway in Rochester. So, he, he, it's happening when he, in that, by his store, by his friend, Anshul Gilles' store. So, he, he goes to the store, and he sees, he walks in the store, and he sees that there's police, and they're all, they're all um, uh, gathering around this man who was on the ground, who was, uh, there's a dog biting at his throat, and the uh, the police are are trying to pull the dog away, and they're asking Anshul, Anshul, tell the tell, tell the dog to go away. But Anshul is not able to respond. He's like somewhere else. He's like you could see Anshul these big black glasses, said Leib, and he's looking out like 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 totally like he's not there. And they're trying to pull the dog off, and uh, the um, the he heard a conversation between three policemen. One policeman says, this guy, how, what kind of a crazy person this owner of the store is? Why would he risk his life for money? Crazy. And here's the second police officer responds. The second police officer says, and this guy, this guy who was the perpetrator, he, he how could he miss point blank? Point blank. He says, Reb Leib said, he said, I saw... There was there was uh, five cans of bumblebee tuna, and there was there was there was there, there were the uh, there was bullet holes in the tuna cans, and he saw oil pouring out of these tuna cans. So he said he says and it, the police officer says what how could the guy miss? And the third police officer said they're both nuts. That's a conversation he saw. Later he found out that. The perpetrator at the time was already was already not alive anymore, and um, and they all and they, he was hoping that Anshul would come to show that day, and sh- everyone's hoping to share to hear what happened. What happened in the store? What happened like this? Anshul did not come to show that day. He came to show the next day, and 
the whole, they're doing mincha prayer, and the rabbi, who was very, you know, rigid with his Torah study, and right after Mincha, they were class Mishnayis, but the whole synagogue wanted to know what happened in the story yesterday. What happened with their Manshu? So, the rabbis also wanted to know, and he delayed his Mishnayis share, his class, to hear what Manshu had to say. Manshu said like this, You remember, I wanted to move out about a year ago. And Feldman, Mr. Feldman said, I should go to ask the rabbi. I went to the rabbi. And when I came to the Rebbe, to the Rebbe's office, I went to the secretary and I asked to see the Rebbe. Secretary told me that the Rebbe has no um, um, open schedule for the next six months. And I started talking to the secretary and, I, and, and when he understood that I would want to leave the neighborhood, and, uh, and this is, and I'm not just saying, well, I'm planning to leave the neighborhood. So he was able to, he suddenly, you know, he somehow managed to give me an immediate audience with the Rebbe. I came into the Rebbe, and the Rebbe invited me to sit down. And the um, the uh, secretary said, it's good to give the Rebbe a note to describe what's going on. A lot of people, when they see the Rebbe, they're not able to speak. So I gave the Rebbe a note. And I told the Rebbe that in this note, I've decided to move out of the neighborhood because it's uh, it's 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 scary. So the Rebbe responded, don't leave and don't be afraid. Stay here and you'll be successful. Don't leave, don't be afraid, stay here and you'll be successful. So I I said to the Rebbe, but I am scared. I mean, you, you hear what's going on. Surely the Rebbe knows about all the, the crime and, and the stores that are being held up. So the Rebbe made another move with his hand, like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then the Rebbe said, in a very strong way, very emphasized way, Yerozi, the Rebbe said, the Rebbe said, No one will be able to have any shlita, any control over you. I believe actually said that people weren't used to the word shlita to mean control. They thought shlita meant to live long, it's a word you use about rabbis, but shlita means control. That is a Kenya, no one will have any control over you. That's what it said. So Rabbi Anshul, he, um, he decided, the Rebbe said, and the Rebbe said it so emphatically and so strongly, he's there, he's going to do this. He's going to trust the Rebbe, he's going to keep his store open. And sure enough, um, he kept his store open. And one day, the next day before, this uh, African-American man went into his store with a gun, and he said, give it your money or your life. So it wasn't a hard question, but he started to open the cash register. Then he said to himself, the Rebbe told me, no one will have any control over you. And I have a whole month of earnings in this cash register. Why should I give to this, this wicked person all the money I have earned for nothing? The Rebbe said, no one can have control over you. Am I out of my mind? What, what for? Now, uh, this man, Anshul, he said, no, I'm not giving you a penny. So the perpetrator took the gun and fired, and fired again. And Anshul stayed in the same spot, and he fired, a, it's a store, six feet by six feet, a tiny little store. He shot again and again and again and again and again until no bullets left. 
when Anshul Ashri had no bullets left, then he unleashed the dog, and the dog really jumped on him and he finished him. So the um, only the only thing that he managed to do was to make a lot of holes in the bumblebee tuna cans. <laughs> Other than that, Baruch Hashem, Anshul was fine, and Anshul kept the store open. Actually, Reb Leib said that he and his family moved out of Karn Heights in 1970, but as seven years later, but when they left, who was still there? Anshul was still there with his store open. So that was the first story I wanted to share. The second story I want to share is about Reb Simcha Gordetsky. Reb Simcha Gordetsky was studying in the yeshiva in, uh, in Kharkov, in Russia. It, Kharkov was a satellite of the main yeshiva in Lubavitch, and Reb Simcha, in 1923, he suddenly wasn't well, and he um, he visited a doctor, and the doctor said that he can't give him the results of his examination. He wants to speak to the head of the yeshiva. So the head of the yeshiva was Reb Chachafegin. Chachafegin was the dean of the yeshiva, and he came together back with Reb Simcha to hear what the doctor had uh, discovered. So the doctor spoke to Reb Simcha to Reb Chacha privately, but Reb Simcha was listening from outside. So Reb Simcha, officially, he can't, uh, he can't hear, but he was hearing. And the, the doctor told Reb Chacha, this, this man has a very weak heart. There's no way he's going to live more than six months. So Reb Chacha comes out of the uh, doctor and he tells Reb Simcha, the doctor says you should, you should go home to rest. Reb Chacha doesn't know that Reb Simcha heard, he just says go home to rest. So Reb Simcha tells Reb Chacha, you know what, before I go home to rest, maybe it will be worthwhile to visit the previous Rebbe in uh, Leningrad. It was Leningrad at the time. So the Reb Chacha, that's actually an excellent idea. We'll go together. They go together to the previous Rebbe. And they arrive at the previous Rebbe. Reb Chash goes in first and he reports to the Rebbe what the doctor had said. And then Reb Simcha goes into the, into the Rebbe. And the previous Rebbe tells Reb Simcha. Reb Chacha tells me that you don't have enough strength to learn diligently for 12 hours a day. Straight. That was the order in the Yeshiva Lubavitch. You don't have the power to do this anymore. You can't learn for 12 hours. So um, they will learn, um, I think, eight hours. Um, they reveal parts of the Torah in four hours chassidus. That was that was the sort of order in the Yeshiva Lubavitch. My great grandfather, actually, Rabbi Ramayor, who was a student Lubavitch, he said that he wanted every in the eight hour segment of study. Uh, he would, he didn't want to get up and and like walk around. Like he went, he wanted like in order to for tikkun, he tried to to fix his soul. He tried to stay focused for eight hours straight and learn every day the Gemara. Anyways, so. Rab Chacha tells me you don't have power to learn just for, for 12 hours in yeshiva. So, so this is what we're going to do. I, if I'm going to ask you to do something else. I want you to work for me. You're going to be a shadar. You're going to be an emissary of the rabbis, meaning of the previous rabbi. You're going to be a fundraiser for the yeshiva. If you, and you will live a long life. That's what the previous rabbi said. Be a fundraiser for the yeshiva and you'll live a long life. So he took on this responsibility, and this was in 1923, and then the whole world turned over, besides the communism, besides the war, but Abkhacha stayed in Russia, and, this, and he was able to 
successfully fulfill his post teaching and raising funds to the yeshiva, being incarcerated. Uh, you can read about Rabbi incarceration in the phenomenal book called In the Shadows of the Kremlin. And Rabbi survives and he leaves Russia in 1964. He left in 1964 and he moved to Israel. He was thinking he should move because of his frail health. As the doctor told me, you know, he can't live more than six months. He should probably move to Bnei Brak where he would be closer to doctors and hospitals. So he asked the Rebbe where he should move to. The Rebbe told him, whoever took care of your health until now will continue to take care of your health. Instead of moving to um, Bnei Brak, you should, you should stay in Kfar Chabad. And that's where he stayed. And he lived in Kfar Chabad till 1984. And he one day he he, he did pass away 61 years later. After 61 years, after the doctor said that he was going to pass away in six months. So, as Hashem tells us on Matzei Shabbos on Saturday night, Al-Tira Abiyakev, don't be afraid. No one has any control over you. We're in Hashem's hands. Don't be afraid of. But to be empowered and feel the simcha, feel joyful that uh, we're going out of this exile. We're heading towards Geula, heading towards Mashiach. And even before Mashiach comes, no one, no one has any control over you. We're, all, we're safe in Hashem's hands. Any uh, 